Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Why do we call it that? Um, Fifty days after Passover was the Feast of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar. There were three feasts each year that the Jewish people who had been spread over all the world were, uh, were urged, commanded, to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate. You see, in about 500 AD, 500 BC, I'm sorry, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, took the Jews, many of the younger Jews, back to Babylon. That started what we call a, 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 a diaspora, a diaspora, a spreading of the Jewish people into all the parts of the world. And when the Roman Empire took over, that, that spreading continued. So there were Jews all over Europe, Jews all over Asia that had been spread out. And they came back to Jerusalem once a year or twice a year, sometimes three times a year, so that they could go to the temple and sacrifice, especially on the Day of Atonement. But the second most holy day was, was Pentecost, 50 days after it. It goes by a number of different names. That's why on Pentecost Sunday in the Bible, Acts chapter 2, there were so many people in Jerusalem and people who did not know Hebrew, who were there from all the various parts of the world. They were Jewish people. They knew, they knew, they sort of knew Hebrew, but they didn't speak it. They spoke the language of Greece if they lived in Greece or Spanish if they lived in Spain or uh, some, some of the Middle Eastern dialects if they lived in those countries. But they were back on the day of Pentecost. Well, The Holy Spirit fell on that 50th day after Passover, the day of Pentecost. And from then on, the Holy Spirit has been filling people to overflowing. Men and women who have sought God and asked for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we celebrate it once a year in in the Christian calendar. We celebrate Pentecost that once a year. But actually, since we're a Pentecostal church, we celebrate it every Sunday. So even though I'm a week late in bringing this message to you because Sobe pushed me a week, you know, he took over last week and no, actually, actually he didn't push me out. He, this was better for us. But, but uh, since I wasn't here to celebrate with you last Sunday, I want to celebrate with you today. And I want to talk to you about Acts chapter number one. And we're going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit from, from this particular passage. In Acts chapter one, we'll begin reading in verse number four and read through verse eight. And then I'm going to give you a number of other scriptures. I'm not going to give you opinion as much as I'm going to give you the word today about what, about what the word says about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? Now, by the way, that's not what Jesus was talking about. That was not the subject. That's what's on their minds. But what's on Jesus' mind was this great coming of the Holy Spirit. But he said to them, that's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times and and, uh, uh, appointed times which the Father has set up by his own authority. But you, but, that means instead of that, this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and as far 
as the remotest part of the earth. Acts chapter 1 is a great chapter in the Bible. You, you might read it and not see the significance of it, from, but from a Bible study standpoint, let me tell you, this is a significant chapter. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the focus, the total focus is on the physical Jesus. Jesus in his incarnate flesh. Jesus in his body, his earthly body. And what all happens to him from his birth to his crucifixion and then to his resurrection and preparing for his ascension unto heaven. So the focus, the spotlight in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is totally on Jesus. But then at the end of the Gospels, at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is ready to ascend unto heaven. And that will happen here in Acts chapter 1. And also, since that focus is no longer on the physical Jesus moving on the earth, that focus changes from Jesus to something else. At the last verse of chapter 2, that something else is mentioned. That something else is mentioned. I'll, I'll just take you there and show you. It's mentioned, it says in the very last verse of chapter 2, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the focus here in Acts chapter 1, it's this, it's this turning point where the focus is from the physical body of Jesus to the group of people that Jesus is raising up to touch the entire world with the power of the gospel called the church. Now, when you see that word church there in Acts chapter 2, it means simply this. It's a, it's a Greek word pronounced ekklesia. Sometimes in, in English we'll call it ecclesia. But in the Greek language, it would be called ecclesia. It's, com it's a combined word, a compound word. The first part of the word is the prefix or preposition ek, which means out from, out from. The last part of the word is the verb kaleo, which means to call. So when you see this word church, it means the people who are called out of the world and called unto Christ to serve God's purposes today. Today, I'm telling you, the church is spread over all the world. There are about, there are about 2 billion, 2.2, 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. Uh, a majority of those, more than half of those are Roman Catholic. There are many other denominations, but I will tell you, second to Roman Catholic, the largest recognizable group of Christians in the world are those that are Pentecostal and charismatic. They've taken over second place, and I'm believing we're going to be first place before it's all over. Because the fastest growing Christian element in the world are Holy Spirit baptized Christians. You may not realize it, but in 109 years since the, since the Assemblies of God was formed, and in 123 years since the Pentecostal movement began, the, the Holy Spirit movement, and the charismatic movement in the 60s and 70s, amazing things have happened. Amazing things have happened. This group that is now second, the second most recognizable church group in the world was born then, just 100 plus years ago, and has grown to where most all of the countries in sub-Saharan Africa are a majority Christian now, and many of them, many of them spirit-filled Christians. The country of, of Korea, by the way, South Korea, we know it today, but the country of Korea in 1900 was 0% Christians, now more than 50% Christian. 
because of the move of the Holy Spirit. So what happens in the book of Acts is this, this focus shifts from the physical Jesus walking around the earth to the church, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus knew this would happen. So he says, he says, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait in Jerusalem, and I'll pour out my spirit upon you. But he had been preparing his disciples for, for this all along. He said to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, the word another in that verse, John chapter 14, verse 14, verse 15, that word another means one more of the same kind. So Jesus is saying, I'm God the Son. One more of the same kind, that is God the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon you. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. At the end of the book of John, Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the very last words Jesus says before he rises up into heaven are these words in our text today. You shall receive the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you want to know what's really on somebody's mind, listen to their last words. And the last words of Jesus that he spoke before he ascended into heaven was to tell his disciples, get ready, the Holy Spirit is coming. Our job today, our job is to accept God's promise. To say, Lord, just what you promised is just what I want. If he promised that to you, you need to receive it. That's what I'm here to talk about this morning. I'm here to urge you to open your hearts, your minds, every part of you to say, Lord, I want everything you have for me. And if the scripture says, I am to receive this power of the Holy Spirit, I want the power of the Holy Spirit. Accept God's promise. The second thing we need to do, we need to exercise our privilege. The disciples faced a great challenge. One writer says, they were to be Christ witnesses to the ends of the earth. The coming of the Holy Spirit was to bridge the gulf between their inadequacy and the fulfilling of the task. The presence of the Holy Spirit, that other comforter, would fill the gap created by Christ, by the, by, by Christ's physical absence and would empower the disciples for their mission. So here Jesus has these fishermen and these, and these men from, from Nazareth and from Galilee, from Capernaum, from, uh, he, he has these men that he's called to be his disciples, but they're all locals. None of them are, are more trained than the three years that he spent with them. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they're saying, go into all the world. We've never been across the Mediterranean Sea. We've never been anywhere. It's possible that not one of the disciples of Jesus had ever been more than 100 miles away from their home. And yet he tells them, go. But in the lifetime of the disciples that Jesus told us to, in their lifetime, James ended up, James, probably the brother of Jesus, not the, not the apostle James, or maybe James the lesser, ended up all the way in Spain preaching the gospel. There's a historic record that puts him there during the first century. 
Thomas ended up all the way in India. If you, if you go, as some of us have been to Chennai or Madras, India, you can go right outside that town and see the monument to St. Thomas who took the gospel during the first century right after the crucifixion of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He takes off and ends up all the way, thousands of miles away in India, taking the gospel. How could these people, so homegrown, become such great mouthpieces for God because they had the power of the Holy Spirit helping them. That's what we're talking about here. How can we, just homegrown people, how can we become powerful witnesses for God? We can by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit of God has been promised to us. We need to reach out our hands and say, I receive the Spirit. Now, some of you in this room are like I, most of you are younger than I am, thankfully. But when you get my age, you have to start dealing with the government in a plan called Medicare. But now what the government does, they employ insurance companies. They give insurance companies a certain amount per month to handle their Medicare people. And the insurance companies then give us plans. We have what's called an advantage plan. On our advantage plan, we have freebies. For instance, my wife and I get $50 a month each just to spend on groceries. We don't have to pay any extra for it. It's all a part of this scheme that, that the insurance companies have to get us to sign up with them so they get more money from the government. So we have these friends, and we're they're on the same plan we're on, and we're saying, you know, we went to the store today, just gave them our, this card that the insurance company gives us, and we got $50 worth of free groceries. And they're saying, oh, well, we, we read about that, but we've never signed up for that. And I'm saying, we, we're saying... You've never signed up for a free benefit that gives you as a couple of hundred dollars a month? Well, you know what they did? They called their agent, they signed up right quick, got their first hundred dollars last month. I am not crazy. If something's free to me, and if something benefits me, and doesn't entangle any more money than I've already gotten tangled in it, 60 some years of paying into social security, I mean, I've got that in it. I'm gonna take the benefit that's offered me, it's free. Duh! We're born again Christians. Jesus Christ himself says, I have a benefit for you, and the benefit is the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to say, well, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I want that benefit. The power to live for God in a greater way than you've ever lived for God before? We not only have to believe the promise, but we have to say, Lord, I want every benefit you have for me. I want everything you have in store for me. Give it to me, Lord. So what we have to do is receive this undeniable benefit. And then the next thing we have to do is reach out and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you four or five things that the power of the Holy Spirit brings you. First of all, the Holy Spirit has come to enable you to think God's thoughts. Now, you have a mind of your own. That's called a psyche in the scriptures. In Greek, you would, not, you would actually pronounce it pasuke, but you would call it psyche. From Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it talks about the mind. Or verse 2 and 3 and 4, and they're talking about the mind. The mind wars against the spirit, it says. So you have a mind, and you have a spirit, and you have a body. You have all three of those things. 
Your body's physical, it's flesh. The, the Greek word for that is sarks. And, and your mind, the Greek for, word for that is psyche. And then you have, you have the spirit. The Greek word for that is pneuma. Same word used for Holy Spirit. So you have all three of those things working in you. You have that. But the problem is your mind is not, has not always been trained to think the right thoughts. And in fact, some of you say you can't control your mind. Well, you could. It takes a lot, a lot of work to control your mind. Because your mind wonders and your mind brings up things that you wish it wouldn't bring up. And that your mind remembers the craziest things. I mean, there are some things you really should remember. Like today, Doris and I are celebrating our anniversary, our wedding anniversary. Brothers and sisters, you don't want to forget that if you're married. She has really put up with a lot, I can tell you, (laughs) a lot. (laughs) How long have we been married? 58 years today. 58 years. Thank you. So how do we get our mind to think the thoughts of God? Isaiah says it like this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like we think. So what we have to do is train our minds to think like he thinks. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You see, sometimes our natural mind says God's ways are foolish. That's what he's saying. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. If we're going to think God's thoughts, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Paul goes on to say, he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For he, for who has known the mind of the Lord? That's a good question. How can we know God's mind that he should instruct him? And then Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. Well, how do we have the mind of Christ? The Holy Spirit himself works in our minds to train us to think God's thoughts. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to share God's emotions. You say, oh, I didn't know God had emotions. Have you never read the scripture? God gets angry with some people. Got angry with Moses. Got angry with the children of Israel. You, you can read it. Anger is an emotion, by the way. God is love. Love is an emotion, by the way. It's a decision, but it's also an emotion. So what we have is this. We have in Romans chapter 5, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. You see, we love because the love of God has been poured out on us. We share the emotion of God's love because the Holy Spirit has come to bring it to us. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do you look at the world through the lens of the Word of God? May I, could I warn you about something? Do not look at the world through the lens of the newscast that come on 24 hours a day now. Some of you are as old as I am can remember that you just got news at 5 or 5.30 or 6 according to which time zone you were in or 7. It was Walter Cronkite sat there. We had our kitchen tables turned so we could see the portable TV in the front room and eat at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock when the news was on. Yeah, we did it. Well, but it's on 24 hours a day. If you, if you see the world through the lens of the news, you will become discouraged really quickly. Not only that, if you see the lens through the, through the 
mind of the, of the commentators, you'll learn which people you're supposed to hate and which people you're supposed to love. Well, if you see, if you see the world through God's eyes, you'll learn that all the people everywhere in the world deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in their own language, and he's called us to do that to either go or send representatives to every spot on this globe. Can you see people through the lens of the Word of God? Can you feel what God feels for humankind? How strong are the feelings of God? How deep is the Savior's love for us? The hymn, sa hymn says, how, can you experience that? How strongly God loves humankind, so much so that he would give his only begotten son to die for a lost world? The Holy Spirit can help you. We've been around people. Our kids, other grandparents are here today. Our grandkids are here today. Ron and Cheryl Sellers, great missionaries to India. Uh, we have a common friend named Mark Bentain. He's gone to be with the Lord now, Mark and Hulda. I never met anybody in my life that loved the lost people of the world more than Mark Bentain. He was riding in a car. He had a city official in the city of Calcutta, India. He had a city official in his car. And he was trying to get a, a, an adjustment on zoning so he could build a church in a different place. And he had this city official, and he had picked this city official up to take him and show him some things. And so he was in his car. There was a driver driving the car, but Mark and the city official in the car. And they saw, they saw a man who had fallen in the mud on the dirt streets of Calcutta. And Mark said, stop the car. He didn't care who was in the car with him. He didn't care what his suit looked like. He got out and picked that man up out of the mud in his own arms and carried him to his hospital not too far away. And that convinced that city official that was in his car to give him the permit, asking him for a permit to rezone some property so he could build another building for Jesus in that city at that time run by communists. Because he saw the love exhibited of this man who loved with the love of God. Can you love with God's love? Can you think with God's thoughts? Can you be the instrument of God to reach a lost world? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to pray God's prayers. You see, we can pray, but our, your prayers are limited to your known vocabulary. Your prayers are limited to what you know. Your circle of friends, your circle, your, what you know, I now, thank God, some of us have been able to travel a little bit, so we know what towns look like and cities look like and sort, sort of what borders look like, but some of you have not done that, and, and, and yet you're a Christian, you're supposed to pray for a lost world, how do you do that? How do we do that? Jesus said, or Paul said rather, but in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray as we should, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What's it saying? You can pray for things you don't even know about. You can pray for things that are beyond your knowledge circle. You can pray for people and you don't really know them and yet you receive a word for them, about them, and you know how to pray for them. 
Paul goes on to, on to write, for, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome that I shall pray with the spirit? Even though my mind is not, is not helped by that, my spirit is, and I shall pray with the mind also. He says, I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll sing with the mind also. He's saying, I want both. I want to pray in my own words, but I want to pray in a prayer language that expresses thoughts and intents that I don't even know about. But the Spirit has me praying for them. Wow. The Scripture says, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Thank God. How do I pray God's thoughts? How do I pray like God, God wants me to, to pray? How do I pray God's prayers? I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that He has given me as a free gift that I must accept and then fourthly, the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to do God's work. I just want you to choose. There is a major, we live in a condo community over in Mason, and I don't know how many buildings there are there. And most of the buildings have six condos or more in them. Some of them are stacked condos, one on top of another, and they have about eight or ten in them. But these are huge buildings with huge roofs. And we've engaged this roofing company to come and re-roof all the buildings. And I'm telling you, the roofers are swarming like bees. They're doing these huge buildings, three or four of them a day, a day, taking the old roof off, putting down the new underlayment that, that's needed, uh, the, uh, like felt, only they're not using felt these days. It's a different stuff. And then, and then, and then shingles going on. And the rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat of the hammers, of the, of the, you know, those pneumatic hammers that they have. I mean, it sounds like machine guns going off. It's just rat-a-tat-tat. Can you just imagine if you just take all those, all those, all those automated ways away and every one of those roof nails had to be nailed again with just a hammer, a guy holding the nail down and going like that and hitting his finger about every third nail? I mean, I would. No, no, they avail themselves of the absolute best equipment and those hoses are running and those guys are all over those roofs and I'm watching it saying, what would happen if we'd take away, what would happen if I'd say, okay, leave your cars here, everybody walk home and by the way, bring your horse next Sunday. No, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. You've got, you've got a, a way to get to church in seven minutes allowing three minutes to go through the, the Dunkin' Donut drive through for coffee and you can make it here and it's just getting in that car and pushing that button or turning that key and that motor revs up and you go. Why would you go back the old way to a horse and buggy? No. Why then do we as Christians want to do it on our own without the power of the Holy Spirit working through us? Without God's help, we are weak and inadequate. But with God's Holy Spirit baptism, we are full of the power of God and we have all of heaven's forces to help us. The Holy Spirit has come to enable us to do God's work. So I've come to this conclusion. I'm not done yet, but I've come to this conclusion. I've come to the conclusion <laughs> that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is necessary in my own life to be everything God intends for me to be. I have come to the conclusion that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is necessary in my own life to be everything that God intends for me to be. Now, I'm a nobody. I don't claim to be anybody. I was born in, a, in, a, in the middle of a 40-acre cotton field. 
in a, in a sh- small house. It was, I started to call it a shack. It was actually a little better than a shack. But that's the sharecropper's house in the middle of that 40-acre cotton field where my dad, who was a part-time preacher, and my mom worked. My dad had to work besides pastoring a couple of small churches. And that's where I was born, inside that little house in a, in a remote little community. Educated at just public schools down in our hometown of Sykeston, Missouri. In my lifetime, I'd, made, I'd been in Arkansas a number of times because that was close. Other than that, I had been in Kentucky, Illinois, and Indiana. That was the extent of my travels until I graduated high school. Uh, I'm telling you folks, I don't know why God chose me. I don't know exactly how I got in line for all the blessings I've had and and all the stuff I've been able to do and and the missionary work we were able to do in the Philippines and the numerous trips I've made to uh, dozens of countries around the world. I I can't explain it except the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life and changed me from what I would have been to what he wanted me to be. And I'm not saying God has a traveling ministry for you, but I'm telling you this, you'll never be all that you could be until you get the power of God working in your life and helping you to become all that you should be. And that's my message. Once you've accepted God's promise and and exercised your privilege and received His power, then the next thing to do is discipline your life to keep it, to stay where God can use you. The scripture says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And I've, I've read, um, I think I've read about 12 or 14, recently read about 12 or 14 English translations of this verse, and they all say the same thing. The word quench is used in most good translations. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. So I've sought for a definition. How do I define the word quench as it has to do with the Holy Spirit? Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words puts it this way. Do not quench the Spirit by hindering His operations in oral testimony in the church gatherings of believers. Do not Quench the Spirit by hindering or stopping the operations of the Holy Spirit when He works in you and me to bring out the good news of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Don't quench the Spirit. There is one translation that says don't extinguish the Spirit. That's like spraying water on a fire. Don't, Don't take the water of doubt or discouragement and spray it on the power of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and lives of believers. You didn't come to church to be discouraged this morning. You came to be encouraged. So what I'm trying to do is spray the power of the Holy Spirit as much as I can all over you so that you'll leave here full of power and full of encouragement. Don't quench the Spirit. So here's what we must do. Number one, I'm going to claim my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's not a boastful claim. That's a scriptural claim. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whose temple you are. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, so that the glory may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, do not touch what is unclean. Your body is clean because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't put unclean stuff in a clean vessel. 
You would never do that at home. You would never eat out of a dirty plate, put your food in a dirty bowl. But how many of us allow stuff that's not clean to get in our clean vessels that have been purified, sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Secondly, let's pray constantly. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit. Philippians 4.6 says, In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. How do we keep our hearts pure? We spend adequate time waiting on God. And then thirdly, let's live a life worthy of our calling. A life that is spiritual, not carnal. In other words, driven by the Holy Spirit, not driven by our own flesh. A life that is God-centered and not self-centered. That is driven by the will of God and not our own self-will. Let's live according to God's plan for our lives. Because 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit so that we can be vessels ready to be, to, to be used of God in whatever way He calls us. In Ephesians 4.1, the scripture says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you have come to Christ, it's because you have been called to Christ. He says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Jesus chose you when you surrendered your life to him. It was because he chose you. He put his hand upon you. He called you. Don't turn away from that. And finally, live a life worthy of the calling. 1 Thessalonians 2.12. God has a calling for you this morning. So in the power of Pentecost, what we celebrated last week and continue to celebrate every week, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's your gift. You receive. And when you receive, you receive the power that God has to help you live your daily life. One person said, well, do you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And my response is, honey, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. I'm not talking about heaven right now. I'm talking about what you're going to face tonight, tomorrow, this week, in your jobs, in the people you work with, wherever you go. You need the power of the Holy Spirit teaching you how to think like God, talk like God, pray the prayers that God has. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.